Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Let's go! Tens of thousands of troops are en route to the Capitol to join thousands of police officers and federal agents, all preparing to defend the inauguration from further domestic terrorism. I was very heartened to see the Joint Chiefs of Staff issue a statement that the United States Army would be there to support the mission of a smooth transition of power. It's a hell of a thing for the Pentagon to feel like it has to issue a statement that it is supporting the Constitution. It is, um, but it is necessary. What we saw on January 6th in DC in some ways may have been the most predictable terrorist incident in modern American history. It was a day no American will ever forget when a frenzied mob broke into the Capitol, halting the electoral vote count, chasing legislators from their constitutional duties, leaving five dead and more than 60 injured police officers. Right there at the archway entrance to the Capitol, there was a pitched battle. There was a pitched battle that went on for hours, for hours. Could this happen again in Washington or in state capitals around the country? That's our story tonight. Sometimes athletes do remarkable things that have nothing to do with sports. And the comeback of Alex Smith fits that description like few things we have ever seen. What is a compound spiral fracture? He had a fracture that extended from his ankle joint up to his knee joint, so it spiraled all the way up the tibia and then he had a piece of bone sticking out of his skin. Here we go. Tonight, a much needed story about character from our nation's capital. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Nora O'Donnell. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes.
Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Will the next president be inaugurated at noon on Wednesday? That's an unthinkable question. The Constitution demands it. But on the other hand, the law also required Congress to count the electoral votes January 6th, which the attack on the Capitol delayed. This week, Washington is an armed camp with a president impeached for inciting insurrection. Tens of thousands of troops are en route to the Capitol to join thousands of police officers and federal agents all preparing to uphold their oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies. Will Joe Biden be inaugurated at noon on January 20th? Absolutely. Uh, this nation will have its 46th president. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will take the oath of office right here in Washington, D.C. on January the 20th. In our city, Muriel Bowser is the Democratic mayor of Washington. She took us to the ground, trampled by the mob, to show us a capital and tradition restored. You see the balconies there, uh, and that is where the next president will take the oath of office. You see the, the red drapes just behind the podium. That's where the president and special guest uh, will, will enter. Ritual is returning after the greatest attack on the Capitol in 206 years. In the aftermath of January 6th, Mayor Bowser asked the federal government to reassess security. They're adding reinforcements and imposing a larger, earlier lockdown around the White House, Capitol, and National Mall. This exclusion zone of seven-foot fences and military roadblocks was rushed in six days sooner than planned. What we know is that not only is the uh, inauguration itself a target for these extremists who stormed these Capitol steps and put 535 members of Congress uh, and the transition of power for our country in danger, we know that there are planning events leading up to it. So it's very important that we have a posture that discourage people from coming, all people, but also discourage these extremist groups from thinking they could come back. Earlier plans called for 10,000 National Guard troops. Now, 25,000 are being deployed. More troops in Washington than in wars overseas. 
Their gear includes shields for COVID and combat. Many of the troops are being mustered in the corridors of the capital itself, as they were in 1861 during the Civil War. I was also very heartened to see the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, issue a statement that the United States Army would be there to support the mission of a smooth transition of power. It's a hell of a thing for the Pentagon to feel like it has to issue a statement that it is supporting the Constitution. It is, um, but it is necessary, and I'm glad that it happened. Uh, but we as Americans have to stop thinking um, that we can take for granted that every American has pledged allegiance to the Constitution. What we saw uh, in plain view uh, were too many Americans who had pledged allegiance to Donald Trump. The military has taken the decision to give combat weapons to the National Guardsmen who will be providing security for the inauguration. Are you glad about that or are you worried about it? It's a place in our, our history that I'm sad that we've come to. Uh, American troops um, should not have to be armed against their fellow Americans. Um, but what we saw was an unprecedented attack on our democracy and the cradle of that democracy. The Secret Service is in charge of what the government calls a national special security event a designation for high-risk gatherings, for example, the Super Bowl after 9-11, and political conventions. The Secret Service leads it, but there are available to them 10 to 20,000 security personnel. Ken Cuccinelli is Acting Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, which oversees the Secret Service. He told us inauguration security planning has been going on eight months. On social media, the terrorists seem to see the attack on the Capitol as a win. And I wonder if you're picking up intelligence that they're emboldened by that. Uh, there is a lot more uh, online chatter, if you will, that has come up since January 6th. But I would point out that a lot of that chatter uh, isn't capital, nation's capital focused. It's more general across the country. Has the suspect who planted two pipe bombs during the attack on the Capitol been caught? Uh, as you and I sit here speaking, the answer to that is no. So you have him to worry about? Of course, yes. Is TSA intercepting known suspects before they get on planes for Washington? If they identify an individual like you described, they will, keep, first of all, keep that person from flying. And if there's a legal basis to do so, uh, they will seize and hold that person for delivery to the FBI or local authorities. The local authority in Washington is the Metropolitan Police. On January 6th, the MPD helped rescue the Capitol Police and break the siege. Everyone is working very hard to ensure that that never happens again. We met Acting Chief Robert Conti in his command center, which on inauguration day will be filled with representatives of the FBI, Secret Service, and Defense Department. While the world is focused on the podium at the Capitol, Conti will still have to cover his city of more than 700,000 people. Chief, what will the MPD have deployed on Inauguration Day? 
every available resource, uh, that it, that's our entire department. Our total department will be activated. We'll have support of law enforcement officers from all across our country uh, to the tune of about 2,500 that will be here to support us in this effort. You've been with the MPD for 31 years. Is this the tightest security you've ever seen in Washington? The tightest security that I've ever seen, absolutely. But the tight security faces unprecedented chaos at the top. Both the Attorney General and Director of Homeland Security recently resigned. The Defense Secretary was recently fired. Even Homeland Security Deputy Secretary Ken Cuccinelli is a stand-in. He was never confirmed by the Senate. DHS has had six secretaries in four years. Why should the American people have confidence in federal law enforcement when the leadership is not in place? Because the professionals we have in law enforcement, in the federal government, in the Secret Service, and across the Department of Homeland Security and beyond, DOJ and all the rest that we work with, are lifelong career professionals. That's 99.9% .9 of the people creating and executing the plans to ensure the safety of incoming President-elect Biden, and none of them are going anywhere. We will never give up. We will never concede. It but there's also the dilemma that the security is commanded by President Trump, who encouraged the attack on the Capitol and has relentlessly worked to stop the inauguration of Joe Biden. Who does the National Guard answer to? They answered through DOD. They can have to the president. That's the chain of command. The if whole he orders them the to stand down. Will they stand down? It, well, you're going to have to ask them, but that's unimaginable. If the president orders DHS to stand down, will you stand down? We're going to complete our jobs. There's not a there's not a stand down. We have a statutory mission. We're going to perform under all circumstances, and I think that hypothetical is uh, not going to happen. It's unimaginable. A lot of things are unimaginable in Washington these days, and we don't have a very good track record well, in the taking of the president's word on things. In the Department so of Homeland Security, my, we're my in the habit. Is, are Look, you going to follow you know, the president, the, or are you going to follow the Constitution we, we all in your an, role now? We all swore an oath to the Constitution. That is first and foremost. And we take Homeland Security very, very seriously. We deal with a lot of curveballs of all kinds, and yet we march forward to keep the American people as safe as we possibly can. We must go forward. We must make it as safe as possible, but we must go forward. Much of what happens in Washington after Inauguration Day is in the hands of Democrat Chuck Schumer of New York, who will be the new majority leader in the Senate. He's making plans for the trial of President Trump after last week's impeachment. Why put Donald Trump on trial when he'll be out of office anyway. What Donald Trump did is the most despicable action any president has ever taken. And he should be convicted at this trial. In addition, if we convict him, we can then, by only 51 votes, remove him from ever running for office again. I know we want to heal, but when something this awful happens, to just push it off will not heal. To convict him, you need a supermajority, which means 17 Republicans would have to vote to convict. Doesn't seem likely. I just believe that our Republican colleagues, when they look at this, will see how awful this was, what it means in history, and join us in convicting him. How soon would you like the trial 
to begin. Do you feel that it's important to get part of President-elect Biden's agenda completed in the Senate first? We have the trial of the president. That's mandated by law. Second, there's a very, very real need for President Biden to have in place key people in his cabinet, the people in charge of national security, the people in charge of domestic security, the people in charge of making sure everyone gets vaccinated as quickly as possible. And third, this country is in the greatest economic crisis since the Depression, the greatest health care crisis since the Spanish pandemic flew 100 years ago, and we must pass more relief for the American people. We must do all three and we have to do them all quickly. One cannot stand in the way of the other. On Wednesday, President Trump will not be on the podium, the first president to snub his successor's inauguration in 152 years. Also not attending will be the usual inauguration multitude on the National Mall. The two-mile-long park is closed. Invited guests, members of Congress, family, and dignitaries will be socially distanced on the stage and in the few chairs on the Capitol grounds. And I don't Mayor Muriel Bowser is telling the general public not to come to her city. She's even asked the Interior Department to revoke permits it already issued to demonstrators. For a couple of reasons, for the security of the event, uh, and let's let's keep in mind what we just saw here one week ago, uh, people storm these steps and put our democracy uh, in danger. But we're also concerned about people traveling and gathering and celebrating in big groups because of COVID. What is the best guarantee that you can make to the American people? I know for sure um, that the United States Secret Service that is responsible uh, for the security of the President of the United States, uh, if they thought this couldn't be a secure event, they wouldn't let it happen. But security comes at a cost to a ritual celebration. Constitution Avenue, the spine of federal Washington, is vacant for miles, from the Lincoln Memorial to the White House, past the Washington Monument, and to the Capitol. The military cordon has the feel of some other country, one with a tenuous grasp on the rule of law. Halfway up the avenue, the Constitution itself has been locked out of sight in the National Archives to protect the parchment for future reference. The FBI has spent much of the weekend identifying and hunting down more than 300 suspects from the attack on the United States Capitol on January 6th. Whipped into a seditious frenzy at a rally behind the White House, thousands of pro-Trump demonstrators marched on the Capitol to stop the electoral vote count presided over by Vice President Mike Pence. Trump true believers, Proud Boys, and Boogaloo Boys joined costumed QAnon conspiracists. There were neo-Nazis and other white supremacists. Some were armed or wearing tactical gear or capes improvised from Trump flags. What was once the fringe had become a threat to American democracy. They came with um, body armor. They came with helmets. They came with respirators. They came with baseball bats. They came with pipes. They came with bear spray. They came with their own explosives. They came with climbing gear. They came well-prepared and coordinated. This was no less than a coordinated violent attack on the United States Capitol. 
On January 6th, Stephen's son was chief of the Capitol Police. He'd held the post a year and a half, but he'd spent almost 30 years in law enforcement in the nation's capital. He'd seen massive, sometimes violent protests before, and from the intel he says he'd received, Sund was confident his plan for deploying his officers was robust enough to handle the pro-Trump demonstration. It was a tragic miscalculation. When insurgents filled the Capitol's grand halls with rage and rancor, Chief Sund was scrambling to mount a response from his command center two blocks away. Watching the defilement of the People's House on security cameras. You offered your resignation in the wake of this. Yes, sir. Why? Um, you know, I understand how things work. Uh, I'm the chief. The visuals of what I watched were, were alarming. Five people died as a result of the siege, including Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. Good afternoon. The next day, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she had lost confidence in the chief. I am calling for the resignation of the, Capitol, the chief of the Capitol Police, Mr. Sund. His two superiors, the sergeants-at-arms of the House and Senate, resigned as well. She had gone on to uh, national TV and um, basically it made everybody feel that it was a failure on my part. So if that's how the leadership feels, then I have no problem. Then I will step down to let this department move forward. You said that you let your officers down. No leader wants to see their officers go through what they went through. You know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. Three days before the siege, an internal report by Sun's own intelligence unit, obtained by the Washington Post and confirmed by 60 Minutes, warned the rally of angry Trump supporters, white supremacists, and militia members January 6th could erupt in violence, their rage focused on Congress. We were expecting uh, some large crowds are going to come down. So their grievance would be on the Capitol and the counting of the votes. We expected altercations between some of the counter-protests. We may have some people within the group that may be armed. We had contingency planning for that, uh, but nothing about an armed, violent attack on the United States Capitol building. But I'm sitting in New York, and I was aware that this was likely to be a, a day of violence. We expected demonstrators with some po potential for violence, not a directed, coordinated, violent attack toward the nation's capital. Making, I consider those two different things. He told us he thought he had everything under control, but he was concerned enough to get additional helmets for his officers and widen the perimeters. He asked the sergeants at arms to activate the National Guard, but they wouldn't approve a formal request, a decision he told us he came to regret before President Trump finished speaking to his throng of supporters. We had a couple of pipe bombs, and we had a vehicle with some explosives and a weapon in it. How far away from the Capitol were these bombs? Just a couple of blocks. And I believe those were purposely done to draw resources away from our perimeter. Sund told us, while some officers were diverted by the bombs, the seditious mob stormed the bike rack barricades on the west side of the Capitol. Describe that scene for me, when the mob first got to the, the perimeter. They tore apart, immediately tore apart the bike rack, literally started throwing it at the officers' heads. Uh, dozens of officers were, were fighting uh, with them. The officers were being hit with pipes, um, uh, bats, batons, uh, you name it. 
It's almost like you're describing a military operation. It was well-coordinated. Chief Sund made an urgent call for help to the D.C. Metro Police. About 100 officers responded immediately. Right there at the archway entrance to the Capitol, there was a pitched battle. There was a pitched battle that went on for hours, for hours, uh, that, you know, both uh, Capitol Police, Metropolitan Police, defended that door with everything they got. With the mob battering the door, Sund called on the National Guard. He says it took him a half hour to make his way up the chain of command to the office of the Secretary of the Army, which controls the D.C. National Guard. I was pleading, absolutely pleading, for National Guard assistance as quickly as possible with the, uh, with the Secretary of Army's uh, representative, uh, telling him I need boots on the ground now. He kept saying, quote, I don't like the optics of National Guard standing in line with the Capitol building behind them. And this is while the siege is underway? This is while the siege is underway. What's going through your head? I'm begging, literally begging for support from my men and women, and that's what I'm hearing. The Army told us there was no discussion of optics, but the chief of the D.C. Metro Police, who was also on the call, confirmed to us Sun's account. Let's go, that way, let's It go. took another three hours and 15 minutes to mobilize and deploy the National Guard. It was 8 p.m. when the combined forces of police and National Guard cleared the Capitol, making it safe for lawmakers to return to the floor to certify the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the next president and vice president of the United States. We had 60 law enforcement officers injured, 15 went to the hospital. Capitol Police lost two of their officers that week. They did not fail in their mission. They need someone to, to, to really stand up and, and let the American people know they didn't fail. It's hard to understand how you can describe what we all saw as successful. I know it didn't, it didn't look pretty, but the number one goal is to protect the members of Congress. They protected the members of Congress, and they need to be recognized for that. Officer Eugene Goodman led the mob away from a corridor where Vice President Mike Pence had been hustled to safety by his security detail just moments before. Since the siege on the Capitol, federal and state law enforcement have made arrests every day. Because cell phones were so ubiquitous, authorities have a cache of digital evidence, about 140,000 pictures and videos so far. Many of the people who rampaged through the Capitol revealed themselves, posting their actions on social media. Now facing federal criminal charges, Kevin Seafried, the man with the Confederate flag, Adam Johnson, who walked off with Nancy Pelosi's lectern, the man with his boot on a desk in the Speaker's office, Richard Barnett, this is only the beginning. This past week, the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia said expect more arrests and charges tied to sedition and conspiracy in the days ahead. What we saw on January 6th in D.C. in some ways may have been the most predictable terrorist incident in modern American history. Oren Siegel runs the Center on Extremism for the Anti-Defamation League. He and a team of researchers scour the web, monitoring hate groups, and share what they find with law enforcement. Siegel told us he was raising the alarm to federal, state, and local authorities for months before the siege on the Capitol. 
But he's been watching violent extremism grow for years, built on grievances and a sense of loss. For white supremacists, they believe that their culture, their race is being taken away, that they're going to go extinct. Immigrants are coming in, the browning of America. For militias, it's often that their guns are going to be taken away. And conspiracy theories, like QAnon, that the government is trying to take away their freedom. So here we have all those factors coming together. And now they're telling you your election is being stolen. Is it a surprise that people reacted the way that they did? You called this a terrorist incident. Not a protest, not a riot, but a terrorist incident. One of the lasting impressions of what we saw at the Capitol was not some white supremacists, some militias dressed up in their gear, but it was John Q. Citizen who got wrapped up in that. Is that more frightening or less? To me, the idea that people who are not necessarily card-carrying members of any extremist movement would get wrapped up in extremist activities is more frightening. Oren Siegel says extremism has been growing in plain sight on social media, like Facebook and Twitter. Now that these platforms are curtailing hate groups, extremists have retreated to distant corners of the Internet. These people are still out there. Their grievances are still real to them. They have a narrative that is wrapped up in a bow for the next four years. The belief in an illegitimate government that was stolen from its rightful leader, Donald Trump. And if they perceive it to be stolen, and they hear people who animate those thoughts and support it, then they're emboldened. And when you have extremists who are emboldened over a period of time, you end up with mass shootings in El Paso and Pittsburgh and Poway. You end up with people storming capitals in Michigan. And you end up with January 6th. This past week, the FBI sent warnings to local law enforcement across the country that extremists, conspiracists, and hate groups plan armed protests in all 50 state capitals in the days before the inauguration and threaten violence if President Trump is removed from office. To Democrat Dana Nessel, Michigan's attorney general, it's like a recurring nightmare. When you saw the siege on the Capitol unfold on the 6th, what, what did you think? Of course I was horrified, but there was a part of me that wasn't actually surprised because I've seen the threats of domestic terrorism in our own state. When Governor Gretchen Whitmer, also a Democrat, shut down the state to fight the spread of the coronavirus, President Trump tweeted, Liberate Michigan, and militia members armed with assault weapons occupied the Capitol in Lansing. Several months later, 14 militiamen, at least five of whom had occupied the Capitol, were charged in connection with a plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. A lot of these same individuals saw what happened in Lansing, Michigan last April uh, and decided that they might be able to do the exact same thing in Washington, D.C. And it turns out they were right. Michigan is taking the FBI warning seriously. Attorney General Nessel urged state lawmakers to cancel their session this week. They did. It's that serious? I have recommended to the legislators that I know that they go to, uh, you know, an army store and purchase uh, Kevlar vests, purchase helmets, perhaps gas masks. And these are the kinds of items now that our state legislators are having to purchase just to provide some sense of security to themselves 
um, so they can feel at least a little bit safer while they're in session. If Lansing, Michigan and Washington, D.C. have shown us anything, it's that we're in a battle for the soul of America, and it requires each of us to answer one basic question. Who are we? If you are looking for strength and character in the nation's capital these days, look no further than the story of Alex Smith. Just over two years ago, the Washington quarterback suffered a crippling injury that almost led to the amputation of his right leg. It would have been a brutal end to the long career of a man who was once the first overall draft pick in the NFL and a three-time Pro Bowler. Instead, Smith defied expectations by rehabbing the way injured special forces do. Tonight, a look at one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. It all began a little over two years ago, November 18, 2018, when Alex Smith led Washington as quarterback against the Houston Texans. And pass rushers Kareem Jackson and J.J. Watt crashed through his offensive line. It was one of those plays as a quarterback, you know, okay, they got us, you know, secure the football and, and just kind of get down. I, I immediately knew that it was broken. You could see it or you felt it? The visual was the most alarming thing for me to look down and know that my leg was broken. It wasn't straight, uh, bending in a place it shouldn't bend. Alex isn't a guy who goes down a lot. He, you know, I had never run on the field for him. Dr. Robin West is the Washington football team's head physician. This is her 18th season in the NFL. And I realized quickly that the injury was, was severe when I got out there. Just so that people understand, what is a compound spiral fracture? He had a fracture that extended from his ankle joint up to his knee joint. So it spiraled all the way up the tibia. And then he had a piece of bone sticking out of his skin. How often do injuries like this happen in football? Like this? No, very, very rarely. <laughs> After watching from the stands, Alex Smith's wife, Elizabeth, rushed down to be with her husband. Do you remember what he said to you in the ambulance? Yes. He wanted me to pull the game up on my phone. He wanted to know the score. He wanted to know how the offense was doing. He was not even worried about his leg whatsoever. He was worried about his team. A team of orthopedic trauma surgeons was waiting to operate at a Nova Fairfax hospital in Virginia. They put Smith's leg back together with three plates and 28 screws and pins. After surgery, the x-rays looked good. But what Dr. West and her colleagues could not see was bacteria. She thinks from Washington's football field had infected the open wound on Smith's leg. There in those couple days after is when it, it you know, quickly, quickly got sideways. His blood pressure was dropping, his fever was skyrocketing, and that's when I knew it was a lot worse than we ever anticipated. Not many diagnoses sound worse than necrotizing fasciitis, more commonly known as flesh-eating bacteria. As the infection ravaged Smith's leg, his body reacted by developing stage 2 sepsis, a dangerous condition that can damage organs and lead to death. And his infection just keeps getting worse. What's going through your mind? I'm obviously more worried about his life. He is septic, and you know you hear all these staggering numbers on when people go septic. At one point, Elizabeth Smith asked to speak to Dr. West privately. His medical team was already considering the amputation of her husband's right leg. She said, just, just get rid of it. I just want him to live and walk out of here. So when we talked to his family and his father, had a similar view. And then we went to Alex 
But he said, do what you can to save my leg. Do anything you can to save it. Smith underwent eight operations in 10 days to carefully remove all the dead or infected tissue. What did Alex Smith's leg look like? Bone, basically. All he had was calf muscle and his tibia and his fibula. We were in the hospital approximately a month. Uh, they had to remove quite a bit of muscle and tissue from my lower leg in order to, to get the infection under control. And then faced with the reality that, hey, we, you know, we, we still might have to cut off your leg. And uh, for me, that, uh, to hear those words, uh, hard to deal with as a professional athlete and someone that, that really, I, I mean, I think I took that for granted for so long, my body, my health. Yeah. The most basic thing people yeah. take for granted. Yeah, yeah. no yeah. doubt. Just wondering, like, I mean, would I ever be able to go on walks with my wife? Would I ever be able to play with my kids? Uh, crazy reality. And uh, so, yeah, really, really thankful to be here. Surgeons covered Smith's bones so they would heal, partly by removing a portion of his left thigh muscle and placing it on his lower right leg. You got this. How's that feel? I'm afraid to put too much weight on it. His leg was also fitted with a piece of hardware called an external fixator. It looks medieval, but it's really advanced orthopedics, and so I wear this metal cage that's bolted in and pinned into my leg, and it holds my leg and bone in place. Uh, while it heals. And how long did you have to wear the fixator? Yeah, it was almost 10 months I wore this bolted in my legs. It was a, a long process. The Center for the Intrepid in San Antonio was specifically built to help wounded warriors through that process. Dr. West reached out to her friend, Johnny Owens, who for 10 years had been the center's chief physical therapist. Had you seen a lot of injuries that were similar to what Alex had. I have. That was the hallmark injury of, of the wars was these lower leg injuries from blast traumas, um, stepping on landmines. Smith requested and received special permission from the Pentagon to visit and consult with the Center for the Intrepid staff. We saw hundreds of Alex Smiths come through this door with those type of injuries and, and said, you're gonna be able to run, you're gonna be able to do all these type of things that, that people told you you weren't gonna be able to do. Now I'm going to have you push down on the gas pedal for me. Dr. Joe Alderetti is a West Point graduate and chief of orthopedic reconstructive surgery at the center. From the moment we, we met, you could tell in the look behind his eyes that can be so many of my patients, either blast injury, roadside bomb, cancer. That look is binary. It's you will succeed or you will fail. And Alex had the look of success. Everything's stable here. There you go, Alex. During Smith's first trip to the Center for the Intrepid, just a few months after his injury, the ESPN program E60 recorded a major milestone in his recovery. First throw since November 18th. What happened when you tossed Alex a football for the first time? Two things. He almost um, broke my ribs because I didn't catch the ball right. And second, there was this, like, that spark in his eye. It, it was so cool. I think it was like a light bulb went off. Smith says he was humbled and inspired to be around service members, some with injuries similar to his own, who were not only running, but returning to duty. The rest of the world was telling me, Temp yeah, go be happy with the rest of your life, and, and hopefully you save your leg, and, and that'd be great, and, you know, whatever's 
you can do beyond that is is a is a icing on the cake, and that was not the mentality down there. At that the center the, front That drive. was the exact opposite. That it's okay to dream about playing again. It was okay for those servicemen and women if they wanted to go back and try and serve and to do triathlons and 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 be elite to go chase it. And that no mental limitations. No, no. Through thousands of hours of physical therapy and with the help of various braces and orthotics, Smith would relearn to walk, then run, and eventually move like a quarterback again, sometimes with the help of his wife, Elizabeth. Alex Smith first threw a football as a toddler. He says he always wanted to be a quarterback, and despite being recruited by Harvard and Princeton, Alex Smith chose to play football at the University of Utah. After being selected by the 49ers as the first overall pick in the 2005 draft, ahead of quarterback Aaron Rodgers, Smith struggled with injuries and consistency. But after a move to Kansas City in 2013, played the best football of his career. Then the team drafted a young quarterback from Texas Tech. What's the name of that guy again who replaced you at Kansas City? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, pretty good player. Reigning Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes spent the 2017 season as Alex Smith's backup and understudy. And, and he didn't hold anything back from me. I mean, he, he taught me that's just the type of person he was and that he is, and I, I attribute a lot of my success to him. I think the thing that jumps out to me uh, from our relationship is from day one, the mutual respect. And, and I think just, you know, what a good person he was. How did you mentor him? I was going to be a good teammate. I wasn't going to be selfish. You know, I, I signed up to play a team sport and, and uh, was going to do my part. This past summer, at the age of 36, after 17 surgeries and 20 months out of the game, Alex Smith was medically cleared to rejoin the Washington football team, despite the fact that his tibia bone was not yet 100% healed. But after everything that you've gone through, why would you risk it? I'm not crazy. I, was, I wasn't going to do this if I didn't, you know, obviously hear from the experts. And so to hear finally from the experts that, okay, you can, for me, a bit of a gut check, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I put myself out there or walk across those white lines potentially again in live action? Exhilarating or nerve-wracking? Both. He wouldn't actually play in a game until week five, when the starting quarterback got hurt against the Los Angeles Rams. Three plays in, Smith was sacked by all-pro tackle Aaron Donald. And then he got right back up. Watching on TV while deployed in Iraq was Dr. Joe Alderetti. I, I was so proud of Alex. <laughs> Sorry. And, and all that he had achieved. You were emotional then watching that. I was. I was totally blown away. I didn't know whether I, I wanted to cheer or throw up. I, it scared me to death, but I, I just loved watching Alex achieve. Up tall. There we go. Dr. Alderetti says the only other patients he's seen achieve similar outcomes are the most elite U.S. Special Forces. So you've worked with almost a thousand limb salvage patients. How many have been able to get back to the type of functionality that Alex Smith has? Less than a dozen. Alex is my capstone patient of somebody who absolutely knocked it out of the park. Smith went on to record a 5-1 record as a starter. Washington beat arch-rivals the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day 
and in their next game, ruined the Steelers' undefeated season. I want to resist from your heel. Okay. The day after he helped Washington clinch the Good. NFC okay. East and a spot in the playoffs, Smith was sore and needed some physical therapy. He had missed the prior two games because of a bone bruise on, yes, his salvaged right leg. Does that feel like pain at that spot? Yeah. Washington's coaches decided not to play him last week against Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, which won the game. Afterwards, the greatest of all time made it a point to pay his respects to the triumph of Alex Smith's comeback. Hey, I'm proud of you, bro. Unbelievable, you know that? And despite the end of his season, the comeback might not be over yet. This year is, is only emboldened um, for me that I can, you know, play at this level. I feel like I've had a lot of people reach out to me uh, saying they feel like my mom, you know, when I'm playing <laughs> and how concerned they are for me. Um, I understand people's apprehension. I have the same apprehensions, but I think it's bigger than football. So I tell people it's not about the game. It's about what happened and getting back on your feet and dusting yourself off no matter what the obstacle is. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Scott Pelley. Next week, the AFC Championship game will be here on CBS. So we'll be back in two weeks with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were 
the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.